Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur, and he's got his kids doing two days at the local Y to get the NIL bag. It's Benny Horowitz. <laughs> Listen, anything... I mean, what was it when I was a kid? It was just like, you go to college, and that's going to be your... You'll be fine, yeah. right? If you go to college, just get a couple years in there, and then you'll get a job, you'll be fine. Clearly not the case anymore. <laughs> so I'm going to have to advise my children to be either, like I said, uh, slightly below average left-handed major league pitchers <laughs> or um, <laughs> plumbers <laughs> or, uh, yeah, or an athlete that could grab some NIL money. Like, I think those are the three paths at this point. I'm excited for your daughter to be a professional soccer player. I'm just going to project all the way the heck. <laughs> what like like what does women's professional soccer look like in 15 years? Well, you know, considering on like the high end now, like they're making uh, like the the women's national team, like the people that go to the World Cup, they're making 300k currently. All right. And I think like the low end of it is between 75 and 100k a year. Not bad. So you may be in a couple milli range in 20 years. That's fine. <laughs> and did you see that video the other day of the uh, the the guy running onto the field during oh, the yes. soccer match <laughs> and just getting getting cross-checked? Boom. Sam and Kerr. Of, she used to play around here. Did she? Yeah, she used to play with Sky Blue at Rutgers. I was impressed. She just took it in. Boom. That was a straight shot. She was not fucking around. And that guy was like, whoa, wasn't expecting that. That was a great move. And then I see, as usual, I, I'm on like, I think I saw that on a ESPN's Instagram. And always the first comments are these like broken, lonely, cis men in their mom's basements making comments like, Oh, I'd never let a woman do that to me. You know, <laughs> stuff like that. I'm like, yo, not only would that woman do that to you, she could run away from you. You'd never be able to catch her. She's still physically superior to yeah. your fat, soft, average body, which I'm assuming you have, you know? Yeah, man. That, that, now, if you want to get me heated up on a Friday, Thursday here, uh -oh. this uh -oh. whole conversation is like, listen. I've known a lot of very talented women soccer players, and they're just superior athletes to, to these guys with these Twitter fingers all day. Yeah. So oh it's just God. like they've got a six pack, and you've never had one in your entire life. Shut the fuck up. You see that? <laughs> like, I have these women got like Saquon Barkley legs. Yeah. I'm not fucking with any no. of them. No, no. CrossFit has emboldened people too much. But anyway, <laughs> and, and <laughs> Tangent USA over here. Benny, what's up with you? What's new? Oh, not much, man. Just keeping going. Family man, music man, doing doing what I do. The same old. Cleaning up furnaces. Look at you. You are oh, Tim the yeah. Toolman Taylor over These here. These are the stories the I've problem. learned. Listen, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and if there's anything I know to do now, it is not to bore people with innocuous, excuse me, innocuous, uh, at-home, troubling things. Because... Other people are dealing with that. You know what I mean? Like, like you're at home. You actually are fixing your furnace and your kids have COVID just like me. It sucks balls. But you're here to have some fun and be entertained by things like this day in music history. Let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 do. Oh, it's, it's too rehearsed. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I'm good. 
Come on, give me the reps. Give me the reps. <laughs> what do you got? So this is an interesting one. In in this this day in 1991, a judge ruled in favor of the British singer songwriter Gilbert O'Sullivan mm. in his case against rapper Biz Marquis, who sampled his song "Alone Again" without permission. Now, neither song is important in the musical narrative. Like uh, this Gilbert O'Sullivan song is not important. The Biz Marquis song is also not important. Which makes this important is. It was the landmark case that established that samples must be cleared before they're used. Mm. So prior to this, like the whole, the the whole uh, industry was based on this kind of like, we'll take it now, deal with it later sort of concept. And you know, like rappers delight was, uh, you know, good times by chic. you know, Africa Bambata stole, you know, a Kraftwerk song for Planet Rock. And they were both just like settled out of court. Like, I guess, like whenever they started making some money, they threw them some money. And, you know, it wasn't a big deal. And by 91, most hip hop acts were clearing it at a very low cost, like Paul's Boutique for the Beastie Boys or something, which had 100 samples, which I think were mostly all cleared. The difference about this case was Bismarcky's record company, which was an umbrella of uh, or under the umbrella of Warner Brothers, had asked permission for the song, was denied Hmm. and used it anyway. Oh, man. So that was the first part of it. And the second part of it was this artist, Gilbert O'Sullivan, didn't want just money. He wanted the song pulled out of the marketplace like altogether. He wanted it all off the albums and off the songs. So by the time he got to court, uh, and since he wasn't messing around, apparently Biz Marquis didn't even show up. And the the judge um, uh, ruled in favor of O'Sullivan and his song, the Biz Marquis song was pulled off later releases of that album. It was pulled off the radio. Like, I think it just went away. The judge uh, delivered a harsh a harsh um was a harsh critic of warner brothers and opened his ruling by quoting the book of exodus saying thou shalt not steal <laughs> so apparently like this case afterwards sent record company lawyers like scrambling to secure the rights of uncleared samples even like tiny samples uh apparently the case in point being tennessee by arrested development it used one word from the Prince song Alphabet Street, Prince was allowed to name his price and marked it at one hundred thousand dollars. So this is when the uh, I guess, you know, the sampling Wild West, you know, got truly commodified and everyone started getting paid for it. Thanks to some guy named Gilbert O'Sullivan. He's almost like what's that one baseball player who's credited with sort of starting free agency? Oh, I thought- I thought you were going Jackie Robinson here. I'm like, come on. No, 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 Gilbert O'Sullivan did not break down walls. He he just he figured out how to get paid. So that's why I'm going with that guy instead. I forget his name. Um, but yeah, so I mean it's it's a landmark case. It's uh the reason I brought up the baseball player, which I'll look up and find by the time you're finished with yours, is that I think it was the it was a not famous person who set a very famous precedent, you know? And now you have people going, 
citing parody laws as a way as a way to like sample and like honor and stuff like that so it'd be interesting to, to see how much of that still holds up because it kind of feels like when it comes to sampling anymore on the internet there's like no laws well what's interesting this ties very much into what our next story is with mm-hmm. bruce springsteen yeah um so and the uh baseball player's name was kurt flood oh. kurt flood he opened who, the flood how about that he opened the flood of free agency that's right Anyway, well, speaking of sampling and remixes and all that stuff, on this day in 1994, a version of the Four Seasons December 1963, or Oh What a Night, re-entered the U.S. Top 100 where it stayed for 27 weeks just as it did when it first appeared on the charts in 1976. The combined uh, run uh, established it as the longest chart-topping hit in U.S. history until recent memory. Mm. Yeah. And is that because of the Billy Joel cover? Is that why it wound up back back up? Uh, no. So there was like the original version, and then there was some like steel drums and stuff that still gets played on like your like mm. oldie stations now. So how about that? What do you What do you say, little Frankie Valley boy? There's a guy who, if he had to sell his catalog, which he probably already did to make Jersey Boys, so somebody got paid. Somebody definitely. And, and from if you've ever seen the movie. It wasn't him. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> All right. Oh, Benny, you know what that music means. It means we're starting to get into these headlines, these spicy headlines all around Come the on. world. Music, entertainment, we bring it to you in the first half of the pod. So we have history. We love to talk about people selling their catalogs. This may be the catalog selling podcast of note. I mean, who else is talking about this? Uh, just us exactly so in what may be the biggest single artist music catalog sale to date uh billboard claims that bruce springsteen has sold his entire record catalog and publishing to sony music for around 500 million dollars half a bill what up bruce something tells me he's not going to live in colt's neck if he's worth half a billion dollars uh (laughs) this tops bob dylan's sale of his publishing catalog that we talked about on this pod uh, and that came out to be nearly $400 million. So Springsteen, but- always trying to top Dylan, right? <laughs> Every time. So Every while, time. while Springsteen has been with Sony Music's Columbia Records since he first agreed to a contract in 1972, which is pretty amazing that you can kind of have that longstanding business relationship, he acquired the rights to his music as part of a contract negotiation at some point during the 90s. You know, I feel like it's super easy when you're talking about this to, you know, the dollar value being equal to the quality of the work and stuff like that. But I feel like this is becoming like the NBA where it's just like, oh, it's this guy's time to get paid and he steps right up. I mean, at this point, I think that's what what it is. And, and you know, we've been talking about this for a while now. And, you know, when we first covered it, I think it was Neil Young who yeah. I read about doing it first and... You know, at first I was like, what's Neil doing? And then, you know, you look into the story and I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't an old man do this? You know, (laughs) like, why wouldn't you like your stuff's going to be appropriated anyway, especially after you die. So it's almost like it's almost like this way of, uh, you know, capitalizing on your wealth and making sure that it stays inside of your family prior to it being hijacked, which it's going to be so. That seems to be the main reason to me why uh, these artists are doing it. And you're kind of mostly seeing these older artists doing it. People who are on the final leg of their career who would love to see 
one of their old songs maybe get some new life in a different way. Now, where it ties in to what we were just talking about is what's interesting to me because, you know, this is now what the future of sampling is because uh, whatever company bought this, whatever umbrella company, you know, they can now go ahead and I've heard about these things happening. They can go ahead and hire 12 la songwriters who are doing really well right now give them a whole bunch of money put them in a house somewhere for two weeks with bruce springsteen's entire catalog and can say pull this chorus pull this pull this pull this and create new songs out of it because we own it all and like that is where this interesting part of it you know, we we covered the interpolation thing not that long ago, and it was just the tip of the iceberg. I think, you know, some uh, future in music in the next 10 years is going to be this massive wave of interpolated old songs done in new ways, but no longer being sampled, literally just being taken word for word because there is no ownership conflict anymore. And that's gonna be interesting. I could see where, like, if like a like hedge fund buys it and it's just like highest bidder, right? It's pretty interesting that he he did it back to the original source, back to Columbia Records. So I feel like they'd be like a little bit more protected over it than just like your Joe Schmo from Wall Street. Uh yeah, yeah, maybe. But again, it's like. The one thing I think we always got to consider in this, and I know a little from experience, is like somebody who works for Bruce Springsteen or himself or something is, is, you know, prior to this sale was dealing with thousands and upon thousands of requests to Mm -hmm. license his music, you know, and somebody had to check each offer and see if it was worth it and check the money. And, and every single time it's done, there's like a new deal about how much it's going to pay you. And then, you know, this month to month to year to year trickle down of actually paying some from it. Like it's this sort of long convoluted process, which again is the thing that lends itself to me to just being like, wait, what? A half a billion dollars? Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. I'll take a half a billion dollars because when can a musician just get a check for a half a billion dollars in one shot. I don't think that's ever existed in, you know, in this industry. So like, why wouldn't you do it? You know? And fuck like the Texas Rangers just spent more on their infield, (laughs) you know, this is Bruce Springsteen's fucking catalog of like, you know, golden nugget, beautiful music that like changes people's lives. And, you know, uh, some mixture of uh, Marcus Semyon and, <laughs> and and uh, Corey Seager just got more than that. So, like, who the fuck cares? Like, I'm happy for Bruce Springsteen, and I think he'll stay in Colts Neck. That's his. That's his yeah. area. He's got his ranch and his horses. Maybe he's gonna get a couple other properties now. Oh, how about this? Watch, he's 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 gonna go all John Bon Jovi and be like, Hamptons, here I come. No, just kidding. Hey. Listen, you got you got that much scratch, you know, you have you go get an apartment in any Trump Tower anywhere. Oh, Jesus. Okay, Uh, but the but the interesting thing here. So uh, the article in Variety that reported this 
uh, said that he, he makes annually on his catalog about $15 million. Got to think, 72. Even if, it, you, you know, generous and he lives to 105, which would be God bless his soul, right? That's still only like, that's still yeah. o- o- only about three. So get the half a bill while you're still here and maybe invest in a sports team. Who knows? You know, and maybe even it's a matter, I'm sure we're going to discuss it in a minute too. Like maybe it's a... A succession style thing oh. where you also <laughs> no, where you also look down and you're like, you know what? Like none of my kids want to do this. You know, none of them like want to like be like the head of the Bruce Springsteen business corp. Yeah. thing corp, <laughs> which which in order to like, you know, really secure the fact that your thing is being taken care of the way you would want it to when you're gone. You have to leave it to people you know who are going to like take care of it like that. And maybe some of these people don't feel like they have that either, you know? Yeah. Um, this deal allegedly does not include the live album. So that's interesting. Hmm. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, interpolating live versions is quite different. Yeah. So, so shout out to him. He's, you know, yeah, good for you, Bruce. Bruce is going to be fine. He's not sleeping in a surfboard factory, which I don't even think those ever existed in Freehold, but that's okay. Listen, you know what? <laughs> Everything I've heard about that guy from from the normal type of person screams generosity. Mm. You know, so I like when you give generous people with a social conscience half oh. a billion dollars. They usually do pretty good shit with it, you know? Love it. Love it. Oh, uh, well, you know, all right, we're going to keep it moving here. Um, a, a, a organization that hasn't exactly done good shit. Uh, we're going to talk about the Hollywood Farm Press and the Golden Globes. Oh, mm-hmm. Benny, I know you hate awards. I fucking love it. I, mm-hmm. I love the whole damn scene. <laughs> all right. Like, like, like I'm, I'm here for arbitrary artistic awards that tell people that something's better than something. And all award season is is confirmation bias that I have a good taste. Like, that's all it is. That's all <laughs> it is for anybody, right? Yeah, I guess um, so. So Hollywood and the Hollywood Farm Press announced on Monday uh, the Golden Globe nominees. NBC is not televising this. Uh, actors and agents and all this stuff are boycotting the Golden Globes uh, because of the Hollywood Farm Press's checkered relationship with race and ethical standards in the past. Now, you can go look that up yourself. But, you know, Optimistic Podcast. We want to talk about the best and brightest that you've been watching all season long all year long in the movie and television realm. So, Benny, let's just go through a couple of, of, of these nominees, and and, and uh, let's. I want to hear what you've been watching and what you think of things. All right, so let's start in the movies. Let's start with the pictures, uh, shall we? Uh, yeah, uh, well, I mean, what, what's the best picture you've seen this year? Oh, dude, I love this licorice pizza movie. Uh, did So you went to the theater to see it? Uh, yes, yes. We went to uh, the old, uh, on the Lower East Side, the old... Uh, Masonic, uh, the old vaudeville, the Masonic, Masonic. There we sure. go. Yeah, we 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 saw this thing literally like the first weekend. It was in New York. Went in. I was like, I, I gotta check this out. Features a lot of Heim from the band Heim. I've made no bones on this podcast about how I feel about them as a band. Um, features uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Fantastic yep. in this movie. It's a Paul Thomas Anderson joint. You know what you're getting. Uh, just quality top to do- top to bottom here. So love that I, I heard an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson, and one of the great things he said was, 
you know, I was uh, trying to cast this, you know, this uh, part that, um, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son played. And he's like, all these actors were coming in. He's like, they were so slick. They were such good actors that it like wasn't working. And he's like, where am I just going to find like an honest, sweet, smart, like 16 year old kid? And since he grew up around Philip Seymour Hoffman and his kids, he was just like, oh, I know one. Yeah. You know, uh, and and even without the acting, you know, chops, I guess, you know, he had a good uh, background there with yeah. his father being one of the best. Yeah. But that's such a sweet thing. So you want to hear something funny, though, about yeah. the modern age? Yeah. Is I hear about this movie. I love Paul Thomas Anderson. I love a lot of the people in it. So I'm, you know, excited to see this film. And me and I'm like, oh, Steph, I'm like, you want to watch it? I say to my wife, she's like, sure, sure. We get all set up. I'm like, oh, you actually have to go to the movies to watch this <laughs> fucking thing. And like, you know, it, it, it's just goes to show you. I mean, even make a point about this in a minute about, you know, these nominees and stuff and how it's, you know, it's uh, while we're kind of sifting through this brave new world of, of how to consume movies these awards have kind of set themselves apart where I, you know, maybe not as much for the Golden Globes, but for the Oscars, I would every year, whatever mm -hmm. five or six films were nominated, you know, I knew what was nominated like the day it was. And then I made it like an exercise to watch every single one, even the boring ones, <laughs> even like the English patient I would watch, you know, just to make sure that I knew about, okay, this is supposed to be really good, so I should watch this and see it. And now it's at the point where, like, I don't even know. I don't know what's what. It's like if I don't have this one streaming service, yeah. then I miss this apparently, like, you know, generational film that I was supposed to see. It's it's quite confusing these days. Yeah, so if, if, if we look at just even, like, the best motion picture drama here, <laughs> right, we have... Uh, one on Apple TV Plus, we have two on HBO Max, and one on Netflix. So it's not like you can just go to your local AMC and be like, "Hey, I want to watch a uh, watch the movie." Like you gotta have this subscription. So that that that's super tough for people, and I feel like most of the consumers won't want to pony up seven ninety nine for whatever. You know? No, no, I think it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Now, to be, uh, you know, completely forthright in our talk here, I mean, the only things that I've really gotten into that are nominated, I did Ted Lasso. I love Ted yeah. Lasso. Uh, I did WandaVision. I see that nominated in a couple places. And really, that's the only things here nominated that I really dug into this year as far as TV is concerned. How yeah. about you? Did did you do Succession? Oh, I ha have I done Succession? You're you're in. You're I'm full in. Listen, I every time I start to think this show kind of sucks. They have a, a episode like their finale. It's just so slow. Okay. Here's what I think Succession is, right? All I right. Th this movie or this show should be a two and a half hour movie there's too much dead time mm -hmm. i think in a lot of these seasons where it's just like do we really need just like logan and just like kieran culkin just like fucking around it's like mm -hmm. i i feel like if we you know like trim this down a little bit still keep all of the humor still still keep all of this and then the other thing that i realized watching the finale because we're not going to do spoilers here we want you to enjoy it this show actually needs more logan in it I think that this guy's a boss. I, I think Brian Cox is a phenomenal actor. There's too much of the kids in, in succession. 
Too much Culkin. Too much. All right. <laughs> Listen, we're turning it on its ear today. I'm going to do a rapid fire for you, Denny. Okay. okay? Yeah. Since you're, you're the one who's really on top of this. I'm going to give you a few categories. You got to give me a quick answer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm here. For All it. right. Best drama. Belfast. Coda. Dune. King Richard. The power of the dog. Uh, King Richard, but I haven't seen Belfast yet. Love King Richard. Okay. Best actress. Chastain. Olivia Coleman, Nicole Kidman, Lady Gaga, Kristen Stewart. Uh, it's probably going to be Lady Gaga, but I haven't seen uh, The Eyes of Tammy Faye or Being the Ricardos yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm so into this Being the Ricardos movie. It's Sorkin, it's Nicole Kidman, it's Lucio Ball. What more could you want? Okay. Best performance by actor. All right. Uh, Ali, Bardem, Cumberbatch, Will Smith, Denzel. I, I kind of feel like this Cumberbatch performance is getting a lot of hype right now. May not be the one that I'm going to go with. Man, you can't go against Will Smith as King Richard. I fucking love that. I'm not kidding. All right. We're going best director. Branagh for Belfast. Campione for The Power of the Dog. Gyllenhaal, The Lost Daughter. Spielberg, West Side Story. Villanueva, Dune. Uh, this may be a, a, a Spielberg lifetime achievement. You know, like uh, they like sometimes do that. Yeah. All right. Best TV series drama. Okay. Lupin morning show pose squid game succession. Uh, I want to go with succession. Lupin was great, but I feel like squid, you know, in, in this year where the golden globes are, are trying to talk about how, how foreign they are and, and, and how much they value diversity. It's, it's probably gonna be squid game. Okay, best TV series, musical or comedy, The Great, Hacks, Only Murders in the Building, Reservation Dogs, Ted Lasso. You would love Reservation Dogs if you have Hulu. It's like your kind of thing. It's just like a bunch of kids just doing awesome shit. Uh, I got to go with Ted Lasso, but Hacks was fucking great. If you haven't watched Hacks on HBO Max, just go for it. It's just a great... Um, it's uh, uh, The main character is like, like an old stand-up common it, it's like supposed to be she's like joan rivers and then dealing with like a woke millennial writer it's it's great odd couple com kind of comedy and it, is sudeikis taking it for ted lasso oh again? yeah come on come on yeah <laughs> yeah i love it i love it well that's good denny yeah You're, i love how tuned in you are to these things i mean it's i gotta thing. be right <laughs> good thing you are or else we wouldn't have much of a segment my friend <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, the 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 other one that I'm excited for on on Netflix is the Adam McKay joint. Don't look up with Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yeah, in yeah, it. I want to see that. That's gonna be a pretty good one. So we got lot lot of great stuff. It's not quite award season. That's just a small little primer for you there. But yeah, man, we got some good stuff going. I just finished up the Shrink Next Door last night. Oh yeah, was it good? It's pretty good. Yeah, it's a little uncomfortable in that like. Yeah, but you like Will Ferrell in like the funny, and he's not. I do, and also it's one of those like uh, the only I the only reference I can think of is like a meet the parents sort of thing. Mm. I sometimes don't do well when like what's being played out in the screen is super fucking obvious. <laughs> yeah. So watching like Paul Rudd manipulate him, yeah, time and time again, I just I I don't enjoy watching it because I get frustrated because I feel bad for the guy. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I've 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 but oh, that oh. that goes to the um, credit to Paul Rudd for shaping yeah. that character though because it's strong. His character is really strong. I've I've always struggled with TV and movies that where it's like like one of the main plot points is manipulation. 
But if like the character is like fun and like great, like a Tony Soprano, and right. it's like that's a different story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's kind of snaky in this one, where you're like, yeah, you're like waiting for him to get his, so it gets a little frustrating, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, that one seems that one seems a little like you know how we're valuing mental health and all this stuff, and then a movie comes out where like a yeah. therapist fucks up your life. Like, no, yeah. thank you. Yeah, <laughs> that's everyone's biggest fear. Yeah, that what those therapy.com websites are, are not stoked on that show. <laughs> oh man. All right. Benny, it's time to slow it down a little bit. It's time to yes. keep sports sexy. Oh, sexy hoops, please. And well, we'll get to the sexy hoops in a, a little bit, but first we gotta keep it in prime time. We gotta keep it in the real deal. We gotta talk about money. We gotta talk about cash in the bag. I love And Dion. we're gonna go down Jackson's yeah, Jackson State is in Mississippi. Their head coach is Deion Sanders, the legend trying his hand at college coaching. Benny, there have been rumors abound that Jackson State backed up the Brinks truck for uh, the number one overall recruit in the country, Travis Hunter. Uh, there's been rumors that he got $1.5 million in name, image, and likeness contract to go to Jackson State. Uh, coach Sanders kind of denied that, but you got to imagine that this number is huge um there have been speculation that this whole that in in his deal to go there uh that you know because like barstool is heavily involved with deon sanders so there's talk uh this kid's gonna have his own reality show as as a college athlete there these there's gonna do all all of the stuff with them not to mention the, the local stuff uh but i think that this is a pretty cool little paradigm shift for college football a HBCU like Jackson State would not have had the opportunity to land the number one kid in the country if they hadn't managed everything perfectly, uh, ushering in this new era with a guy like Dion, who's going to bring in the money, who's going to get you the top players for everything. So what do you make of a monumental flip on National Signing Day to bring the number one recruit in the country to Dion Sanders? Keep it I sexy. Fucking, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it's what I've wanted to see for so long. And I think it's like the exact thing you're seeing and the subsequent fallout mm -hmm. of it is the exact reason the old establishment didn't want NIL in the first place. Yeah. Because they wanted to keep their establishment. They wanted to keep the power schools, the power conferences. There was a lot of people making a lot of fucking money and What's the one thing that people make money want to keep doing? Making money. Keep making mm -hmm. money. <laughs> so when these things are proposed that, yes, are maybe fair to the young people, but we have this thing we need to protect. Well, this is the exact reason people were dragging their feet for so fucking long. And now these opportunities come in. You have a guy like Deion Sanders, who's uh, like I was just telling you, I, you know, I'm 41 years old. Deion Sanders was my guy. I love Neon Dion. I loved him in college. I loved the the high stepping going into the end zone. And then, fuck, come on. You're playing in Braves World Series games, Falcons games during the day. This guy was like, you know, just this next level, tremendous athlete in so many different ways. And he always just had that, like, bravado. The guy's a fucking superstar. He always has been. His nickname is literally Neon <laughs> Dion, you know? So this is what happens when you have these kinds of opportunities. He's using his power, his influence, his connections to the media and 
whatever else he set up there to, I guess, essentially ensure the fact that this kid's money is going to be taken care of while he's there. You know, like, like I'm sure this was an implied part of the uh, transaction. No, or not even implied. It doesn't have to be implied anymore. It can just be said. Yeah. This is what we can offer you if you come to Jackson State. Um, so, you know, I can see where Florida State and their fans feel some kind of way. I mean, apparently this kid committed in like March 2020, but this rule wasn't on the books yet, you know? And uh, I love someone taking... If, if there's one thing I love, it's people who gain power and use it for shit that I think is cool. Yeah. And that happened twice in this scenario because I love what Deion Sanders did and I love what he's doing with that program. And I love what this kid did. You know, he's being the forerunner. He's being the first one. He's taking a chance going to this school, you know, potentially limiting his draft stock because, you know, people are going to be like, oh, he's been playing against, you know, uh, D2 uh, wide receivers this whole season. How good of a corner do we know he is? So, you know, he, he might be actually like hurting his money the first couple of years in the pros because of it, but he's taking this step and, and I love it. I love to see it. And I love to see a little <laughs> meh to, to the people in charge, you know? Yeah, there's a couple things here. Number one, uh, you know, Dion's made no bones about his desire to coach. What a ginormous miss by Florida State here. Like, this kid, Travis, grew up a Dion Florida State fan. He was right. in your backyard. Everything was there for you to have this guy uh, to kind of get some good headlines there going in Tallahassee. Number one, you're like, no, we don't want Dion as our head coach. That's fine. That's their decision. And then, bravo to Jackson State. You're like, hey, let's get on the map. Let's bring Dion in as our head coach. All the money that comes with it. Um, Give them carte blanche. Carte blanche. Yeah. Florida State has to be kicking themselves with this. Yeah. Well, they could take that dumbass chop they do and, you know, en enjoy that loss. Yeah. The, <laughs> definitely taking the L on the way out there. Uh, and then you see a bunch of other schools like SMU. Y'all remember the Pony Express. They are back in a, a big way. Uh, their alumni network that has some pretty big names from the NFL has already started their multi-million dollar fund to get guys to play. So you're going to see SMU back. You're going to see all of these lower schools that uh, have you know toiled in mediocrity because they haven't had the opportunity, splash the big cash, and maybe get a national title chance. That'd be really cool. Yeah, and, that's, and it's the same thing. It's like if we weren't having this conversation, would you be checking the box scores of Jackson State games no. next year? No, neither would I, and now I'm going to. Yeah which means they're going to get some TV time, which means the other HBCU that they're playing against will mm. be getting the TV time. And it's like, this is how things start. It's, yeah. it's how you force the hand of people who didn't want to give you a chance, you know? We've talked a bunch about change on, on this podcast and having, and you know, like in, in, in light of all of the stuff that happened during the pandemic, this is how you start. You have people putting their money where their mouth is. It's wonderful. 100%. All right, let's, let's, Taken to the association now. Benny, we had some we had a history at the garden this week. Stephen Curry became the all-time leading three-point shooter in NBA history, passing Ray Allen. Steph notched his uh two hundred and no, excuse me, two thousand nine hundred and seventy-fourth and then so on three-pointer to take the record. 
3,000 is in sight. Steph may be the first Mr. 3,000 in in, uh, in NBA history. Uh, how awesome was this? You know, let's kind of take people back to the actual moment of it. Number one, it happens at the Garden. He had two kind of poor shooting games before against Philadelphia. And he comes in, had to be at the Garden against a team that had the chance to draft him, passed him over for, for Johnny Flynn. Um, and an incredible situation where uh, you have Ray Allen courtside, you have all the celebrities courtside, you have his parents in, in the stands. So a lot to get to from the basketball angle, but Benny, that moment, keep it sexy. Well, first off, it was Johnny Flynn was the Minnesota Timberwolves oh, boofing damn, it. That's right. yeah. Jordan Hill Jordan Hill was the Knicks boofing it. Um, but I do think there is something very appropriate about this happening at the Garden. And I even... You know, my brother, big Knicks fan. We might have a segment coming up soon called Angry Knicks Fan uh, with my brother on. And, you know, you know, like I I just ask him the question straight up. Like, Steph Curry goes to the Knicks. What's his career look like? You know, and it's a very real question. And, you know, he doesn't know exactly how to answer, but it's not like this. Mm-hmm. You know, and you think about, you know, the early part of his career and the variables that so easily could have gone wrong, you know? Um, imagine the New York Knicks organization dealing with his years of ankle troubles, yeah. you know, uh, getting him healthy, getting him right, giving him that first big uh, re-signing contract, even when he was hurt, kind of putting that faith in your guy like that. Like, the Knicks wouldn't have done any of that. Yeah. Like, you know, like, it's not uh, me making it up. This is... Uh, historical incompetence you know playing in here so but this isn't a Knicks bashing segment this is <laughs> Steph Curry segment I loved watching it I mean I've always been such a big Steph fan because you know he's one of those guys he's a joy to watch he's an entertainer he's like he gets it you know I've seen Steph Curry live a number of times and he's one of those people that like whether you're a fan of that team or not, he just like electrifies the arena. You kind of find yourself half cheering for him. Even when you lose to him, you're like, oh, what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do about this guy? He's that fucking good. And and he's such a nice guy. He's so vanilla, you know, like good married man, Christian man, never says anything wrong, good at golf, like the whole deal. So I think Steph Curry is like the easiest guy to root for. He said everything right up until now. He pays respects for the people he passes. Same with Ray Allen. And, you know, that is shown by the fact that Ray Allen, who can be a grumpy dude, <laughs> is in attendance wearing a nice turtleneck and, you know, uh, and really supporting Steph Curry moving on. I don't think anybody wasn't happy for him. So it was a beautiful thing to watch. And, and as far as becoming Mr. 3000, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, that seems like an absolute inevitability to me. Um, and, you know, I, I dare to say that we might have hit, you know, the Steph Curry peak and the Warriors peak may have been the peak of three-point basketball. Mm. You know, we're starting already to see a slight regression to the mean you know, things going back a little. You have the new rules that are, you know, going to bring things in a little. You have these effective big men coming back, changing teams, you know, like your Evan Mobley's and stuff. So, you know, there is a chance, like, you know, uh, that this record is is going to be one of those unattainable records because 
the whole game might change behind this and the idea that you're uh you know dame lillard's or trey young's or the people coming next i just don't even though they may have the talent to do something like this i don't think they're gonna have the opportunities that steph had yeah so i think we've seen too much of sporting history to say that a record is never going to be broken like you never know how the game's going to change in the future and and not for a while (laughs) i don't know about this because like kids now all they want to do when they when they show up at their like local court is they just want to shoot threes you're meaning to tell me there's not one kid out there that's like even more automatic and 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 if you know Steph entered the league after going to Davidson, if you have a kid that comes into the league at 18, shoots similar numbers to Steph, I don't see why that's not obtainable. I mean, but like, let's think. Like, let's be realistic, right? Yeah. Okay. Like, Steph is at 2,900. Yeah. The only other active player, James Harden, has 2,500. Yeah, he's not gonna catch him. Though. I don't see him passing or catching him. Yeah. Uh, Dame Lillard is is down here with. Uh, well, we got 2,100, mm-hmm. you know, he would need another good, what, eight, eight years of elite, elite play. I, I don't know if Damian Lillard has that LeBron James, is it going to pass it? Mm-hmm. And now you're going down the list. It's not like I'm seeing young players who are coming close or, or, you know, like Paul George, 1800, uh, you know, these random guys that made it up the list, your Kemba walkers and things like that. No one is close, dude. And, and it's not like, it's like when I look at, uh, you know, wins records or something in baseball where, you know, I'm like, well, you know, I don't think there's anyone who's going to come close to this for a long time. Right. So I, uh, yeah, I see this. I don't see anyone on his heels. And like I said, I kind of see, you know, uh, I see a turn in basketball, and I think, you know, your your Trey Youngs might have been like the peak disciples of Steph Curry, and it's going to trend the other way. I don't know, man. I'm I'm taking this the other way. The guy who's going to break this record may it's going to be a, a long time because if you look at the evolution of this, there's like Drazen, and then you have like Ray Allen, and then you I don't know, and then you had like Reggie, and then you had Ray. So it's like. Listen, we like we may not see somebody like Steph for a very long time, but if if I'm putting the mortgage, if I'm putting the house on somebody breaking this record eventually, I'm not just going to be like records are made to be broken. That's a cliche for a reason. I don't know. It's just why this this Listen, I'm a numbers man. Yeah. I'm going to fight you on this one okay. because I'm a numbers man and I'm a a guy who pays a lot of attention to the trending of statistics. And when I look at the active players list of three-pointers made and the fact that Steph Curry, you know, essentially like, you know, number he's played 789 games, Mm -hmm. which is considerably less than Harden, LeBron, Kyle Lowry, Wes Matthews, Durant, Carmelo, like all these other guys who are bordering in the top 10. And the only other one who even comes close is Dame Lillard. So it's like if Dame Lillard's career goes in the arc it is, which is still going very well, mm-hmm. but he's going to go toe-to-toe with Steph Curry another three, four years. And then what, is he magically going to like play an extra eight to ten years that Steph Curry hasn't played? 
I don't think so. And and there's no one else, you know, anywhere near the pace that he had. So it's just it's really hard to see. It's really hard to see. That's what that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's gonna be an active guy. It's some dude we don't know yet. That's gonna yeah. come from like Slovenia probably, because that's where all of the white dudes that can shoot are coming from. <laughs> <laughs> if we if we get a Slovenian pulling up from thirty five feet, then maybe maybe I'll change this discussion. I love it, but but congrats to Steph. Awesome, yeah. five thousand maybe unobtainable, but you know maybe four twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Clay Thompson would like that. Oh, I'd love that. Benny, I'm going to put you in the precarious position of trying to keep a bad thing sexy again. I had to do it just once during the show. The NBA, speaking of which, big COVID problems right now. They got 30-plus guys in protocol. That number is growing by the day. Uh, stars like Giannis uh, in, in, in protocol. I feel like all the Chicago Bulls are in, in protocol. A a really watered down slate for Christmas. It's looking like, which is that's terrible for for the league. You know, Christmas is the marquee game, and you're gonna have most of your guys in, in in COVID protocol. Benny, I posed this question to you earlier. Does the NBA need to kind of take a pause after Christmas, maybe just for that week or two, to try to reset things and then resume the season once we get to 2022? Uh, I don't think we're gonna see a pause of the season prior to seeing like heightened restrictions mm. you know i think before we see that we'll see you know teams locking down their players more again bubbling their uh you know their whole traveling parties like they were last year um if it came to it eventually you know taking fans out of the stadium again but the idea that we're you know uh you know x amount you know 30 plus games into the season uh, I think it would have to get really, really serious, like cripplingly serious for them to actually just say, all right, let's just take, you know, uh, three weeks of games off of our schedule for the year, you know, because God knows the financial hit that these these rich fellas would take if they did that. So, um, you know, obviously it's, you know, you're seeing like the Bulls and players, like they get, you know, 10 guys in their yeah. COVID list, the the Nets just had to sign fucking Langston Galloway, so <laughs> Kevin Durant didn't have to play with all G leaguers again next game. Even though I will say, I take. I that. don't know if I've seen a superstar have more fun <laughs> playing basketball than I saw with Kevin Durant playing with those those G League boys the other night. Kevin Durant loves basketball, yeah. and it's really fun to watch. To give him some credit, but to answer your question, I don't think we're at that point yet. And I do think we'll see that that series of steps prior to something like that happening. Is this just what it's going to be like every winter for the next few years now? It's like, you know, we're going to get to a point where like COVID is like low and then the next variant is going to come along. we got to get another booster. And it just it's like like it's like a, a higher heightened version of the, the flu. And I, I don't know, it's just super sad. Nothing's going anywhere anytime soon. No, I'm pretty sure you you just nailed what I think is kind of currently happening. You know, like we sort of had a chance to get in front of this, spent too much time, you know, fighting with people who are not interested in getting ahead of it. And now we're behind it again. I think 
we're looking at a very, very similar thing to last winter. The only thing that's different, I was just discussing this with my wife, is like, it's a little less scary. Yeah. You know, last winter, you know, we're like, oh, they're taking body bags out of, you know, hospitals and bringing them to some island in New York. And you're kind of had this apocalyptic feel, you know, the idea that it's a little more under control, a little more understood, a little easier to treat like all of those things are in play which again i think makes it less scary but without turning this into a COVID episode yeah i do think uh there's an open end to this and we still don't know how it's gonna look in the future i will accept that as keeping it sexy <laughs> I mean, I could have went gloom and doom. You know, I didn't. I didn't bring up conservatives or anything. There's a, I'm proud there's of you. A, That's growth. But if there's a way to make a segment not sexy, it's to start talking about conservatives. Let me tell you. Oh, all right. Well, then let's move on to something that I think you can kind of keep sexy here. Let's talk about Luka Doncic. It should just be considered the political party of the missionary <laughs> position. Let's be real here. Oh, man. Well, if there was one basketball player that I would describe as the missionary position, <laughs> it's Luka Doncic. No, just kidding. Oh. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. Ouch. He's not getting along with his teammates this year. He's forcing Ouch. people out. It's a very controversial topic. Ouch. Uh, but rumors have, have and, and reports have come out of Dallas that uh, – Luka Doncic may not have asked for Rick Carlisle to be let go or to move on, but it was kind of clear that this situation was not going to work for another season between Carlisle and Doncic. Doncic has his way of doing things. Didn't exactly see eye to eye with the former Mavericks coach. Um, but what do you make of, uh, of Doncic being so young and the stance that he has in the Mavs locker room of, you know, we, we know you're not happy with this guy. We, we will take him out before you can uh, uh, tell him it's, it's me or him. Keep it sexy. Well, you know, this story, the story that came out with Carlisle and Luca, I, ha I had some problems with it just in general. It felt thin and it felt like a strange story because, you know, uh, I get that Luka Doncic and Dennis Smith Jr. were friends. That's cool. I'm glad that Lucas seems to get along with his teammates, not named Chris Stapps, uh, pretty well. Um, but, you know, Carlisle was basically like, uh, I, I've given up on this person as a starting level point guard in the NBA. And he's absolutely right. Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah. is not a starting yeah. level point guard in the NBA. And, you know, I remember that season when you – uh, preseason, people anticipated, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. being a ball handler and Luca being able to learn how to play off ball. And like, this is what people were thinking. And you didn't have to watch that long to know that that's not going to work. Um, so from a basketball side, I was like, ah, it's correct. Who cares? And then all the other stuff, the conjecture and all the, oh, and then Carlisle did this and Luca said this. And then, you know, one day he left the court kind of like this and there was an argument. It really felt like fishy to me, like they were fishing for some meat and some drama there. And it, uh, you know, I think for some reason, Luca's kind of getting targeted like that. I think he's starting to become a little bit of a heel for uh, 
I don't know, just some of the way he acts. I think people think he's whiny sometimes. Um, but I, I don't really buy the hype about it all. I think Luca is like just as good as was advertised, you know, and there's been a little regression to the mean because of a, a various different things. But it's like, it's not like you're looking at some really like complete uh, roster here that's like underperforming. Um, Dallas has a million holes. They haven't uh, taken that um, the team, you know, put it together correctly around Luca. He's still so fucking young. So I kind of hate all these stories and they're sort of strange. And I got to ask you while we're on this topic, mm -hmm. okay? Now, Luca and Jokic both have gotten a bit of like a reputation in the last year or two. They've gotten a lot of scuffles, a lot of issues with refs. And uh, is this a matter of both of them being particularly chippy people? Or are these guys like these these European superstars? Are they being like highlighted a little more by the rest of the league? I mean, there's a there's a hundred percent a cultural difference. I mean, that's what happens in like Eurobasket and stuff like that. Like you go after refs, the refs go back at you. <laughs> right, right. It doesn't exactly come come the fisticuffs. There is a respect there, but <laughs> yeah, you, it's got like an Italian coffee yeah, shop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> yeah. but but that's what happens over over there. So when these guys come to here, you can't just speak publicly, or you'll lose money if you criticize the refs. It's a right. bit of a culture thing, so you, you you try to keep it on the court. But with that said, American guys do this too. And we don't, we kind of don't talk about. It. So I'm kind of not sure what's happening there. But I kind of want to get back to the story. I think that this story 100% comes from the Carlisle camp. Want to know why? Yeah, it's got it right. Because you know the Pacers are on the uh, where Carlisle is coaching now. They're on the trading block. They're about mm -hmm. to start a rebuild. Um, what a what better way to say it's not you, it's me than to kind of leak this story right. and you kind of get it like five more years rather than it being a short stay in Indiana because Indiana gets rid of guys very quickly. I mean, their last two coaches haven't lasted more than a year. So, uh, I mean, who broke, who broke this story? The writer Cause, cause, or who leaked it? Yeah. I mean, cause that, that's what I'm talking about. It's yeah, like, this is a Carlisle camp. hundred percent. Some, there's something so, so strange and thin about this story that that makes a lot of sense to me. That makes more sense now that you mention it. All right, well, this podcast makes a lot of sense, and we thank you very much for tuning in. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can email us at the tunapodcast at gmail.com. Two Ps in there. If you want to follow us on all the social platforms, we are at the HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We need these reviews to go way up to the top so that, you know, it can kind of circulate to the top of the feed so that other people can join the family. You know, we're going to keep it in the family. No, yeah. Uh, hey, uh, um, if, if you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I am at Danny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? You know, go through your week with the irrational confidence of Austin Reeves. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to the tune-up. <laughs> <laughs>